Welcome to the Future Belongs to Creators. I'm your host, Nathan Berry. I'm the CEO at ConvertKit, and I'm joined by my co-host, Barrett Brooks. He's the COO here at ConvertKit, and we're on a mission to help creators earn a living. This show is about turning anxious energy into creative output during times of uncertainty. It is episode 84. It's Friday. You know what that means. Casual Q&A Friday. I have my Go Vote shirt on. I just need to make a statement real quick. I keep seeing all these people saying, when you say Go Vote, you know what you really mean. Why don't you just say it? And you know what? What I really mean is Go Vote. I don't care who you vote for. I think everyone should vote. And I think it makes the democratic process much healthier. So if you're in the US, I say go vote, vote what you believe in. I have personal opinions, but that's not part of my statement. So to anyone who says when I say go vote, it means vote for a specific candidate. You shouldn't generalize. Anyways, how are you doing, Nathan Barry? Yeah, don't make those assumptions. I'm good. It's a beautiful day. Chilly, but beautiful here in Boise. My ballot showed up yesterday. I don't know why I don't just do this every year. Like, why is this a thing that this year for the first time, I'm like, oh, like, let's get a ballot in advance. And every other time I'm like, let's make this complicated. I actually have to go places. Well, here's an even deeper thought. Imagine this. There's a magical cord that goes from the power line to your house. And it allows magical streaming of many different kinds of information. (laughs) And through this, you can securely log in to a site, for example. You might even have nonpartisan information about the measures and you could click buttons and vote. Ooh. Maybe in our lifetimes. Maybe in our lifetimes. <laughs> Maybe. I prefer to stand in line for five hours. Thank you very much. You know what? While we're on this topic, everything has turned into a political issue this cycle. Mail-in voting has turned into this big thing. Everyone's talking about how ridiculous it is and whether you should vote and whether it will actually work and the amount of fraud, all of this stuff. There are some states, rumor has it, that do like exclusively mail-in voting. Indeed. I live in one of them. Do I understand that Oregon is one of these magical lands? Who was doing this the other day? Oh, we watched the West Wing stage play reunion thing they did in support of Get Out the Vote campaigns. And they did one monologue in between basically saying that there have been something like 164 total cases of voter fraud that have been proven in the last, I don't know how long, 10 years. Oh, wow. That's not many. (laughs) I found that pretty remarkable. I'm not saying there's not more than that. I'm just saying I think it's way overblown. Yeah. And I have always had a great experience with mail-in voting in the five years that we've been here in Portland. So anyways, that makes sense. Anyway, I'm great today. would love to hear from anyone tuning in the chat how you're doing. I don't know what's going on. I'm going to take an early day today, you know, do the podcast, get a little more work done. I got some writing done this morning, which is all good. It's just, it's been a week. It's been a lot of work this week. And so it's time to take a step back. I guess in other news, we officially own the house next door. We've been like pretending that we own it for a little while because we bought it directly from the owner. It's sort of been a delayed process, but now it's all official. And so that's fun. It'll be on Airbnb in probably two weeks, you know? So anyone who wants to come stay, we've got a great house on the farm. And if by anyone, I mean Barrett Brooks, that would be great. Be right there. Anyway, how are you doing? I'm green. I made a little side trip to Home Depot this morning. We bought a house this year. I've recognized literally no one is going to care about this. And I'm going to tell you anyway. So deal with it for a minute. We're still within our five minute window of banter. (laughs) On the front, we have like five steps that are wood. And then in the back, we have wood steps that go down to the backyard. And Oregon with the rain and then the sun all summer, it just beats up on wood. So anyways, I found a low volatile organic compound sealant. So it's like 
relatively good for the environment and good for human health compared especially to the normal stuff that you would use. So I had to go to Home Depot and get a paintbrush so I can do it today because you have to have 24 hours of no moisture. And that is getting harder and harder this time of year. So anyways, I might go out and do that this afternoon. Right. But I'm green. It's been a hard week. Sometimes you have hard weeks at work. We had a lot to do this week. So it'll be nice to have a weekend. Yeah. Okay. I have a question. Well, one question's totally available. Everyone can drop in the chat. I have a question that I've been thinking about this week and we'll kick it off asking you and then maybe we can discuss it. How do you think your job, COO of ConvertKit, what you're doing will be different three or five years from now than it is today? What do you think will be the same? We're like, oh, this is a constant. And what are the things where you think, you know, this is actually going to change? Like we'll have a different day to day. Three years from now. So we'll probably have in the neighborhood of 90 or 100 teammates, I would guess. Yeah. My guess is that I will feel less individually connected to every single person, although I'll still work really hard to do that. And so I'll probably be managing at even like a one step removed level than I do today in terms of direct accountability and being involved on the ground level with things where I'm asked. That'll probably get harder and harder. And so what ends up replacing that, I think, looks like really making sure we're aligned on vision, especially for this current year and kind of what strategy we're pursuing, how that affects different teams and things like what are our growth markets? This is a conversation you and I have had recently. Where are we trying to grow? Mm -hmm. So last year we talked about we could go after Instagrammers, which is a huge market, or YouTubers or musicians. And that's not saying anything about our current market in terms of who we already serve and continuing to serve those people. It's just saying, now, what are we going to add to that to really focus our marketing efforts? It'll be things like that, strategic discussions so that everyone knows with clarity, this is who we should be going after right now. And this is who we should be building relationships with. And then I think it'll be a lot of financials, a lot of kind of building financial projections, managing the budgets, making sure that we're on track financially. I do a lot of that today. I think it'll be even a bigger focus as we continue to grow our revenue. And then this has increasingly become the case for you and I both, just recruiting and filling open roles on the team and making sure that we're hiring fantastic people to join us on this journey who are that kind of like perfect overlap of high performing experience as a creator, have been in startups before. Like there's this interesting combination that we find works really well for us. It takes some really intentional outreach to make that happen. So all of the things I'll be doing probably already happen. It'll just be the emphasis shifts more and more towards that strategic level and less and less towards on the ground work at any time. Yeah. How do you think yours is going to change? Yeah, well, I think it'll change a lot in the short term as we fill some of these roles, like our VP product role. But I hope that shift to start to really happen over the next 90 days. I think the biggest thing... So if I were to break it down, right? There's that shift over the next 90 days. I think the next shift is going to be a lot of promotion and marketing, like company evangelist, getting out there, recruiting new users, pushing into new markets. We're really looking as we expand into music in that space. That's a lot of relationships. And then I think over time, once that new phase of work is happening, you're always in that. It's just then the timeline keeps extending. Today, I'm focused very much on what's right in front of us and then somewhat on what's a couple of years out. Mm -hmm. But then I think that I stopped being focused on what's right in front of us. And instead, it just pushes further out. Like this is something that Jeff Bezos talks about a lot. Yeah. People congratulate him on, you know, this quarter or something. And he's like, this quarter was locked in three years ago. Like, thanks, but I don't think you understand how this works. Mm -hmm. You know, I think getting more into that mindset of when you and I are sitting down and planning, it's not next year or the year after, it's three years from now. And we don't have the level of predictability to do that yet. And we haven't bought ourselves that runway. The next couple of years aren't well enough planned for us to be thinking a ton about years three through five. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. 
One thing I thought we could get into today, one of our teammates has a side hustle and he asked some questions about it yesterday. And I thought we could kind of outline that and maybe use it as a little bit of a case study that I think will be really relevant for a lot of the audience too. So here's the current situation. The goal is to make $500 a month in the relative short term, not like forever. There's about $250 of expenses every month. So we need a total of $750 a month, which is one way of framing the problem. We'll come back to that in terms of another way to frame the problem, which is what total amount of money do we need to earn over what period of time? The primary way to earn revenue today is through a paid podcast membership that costs $9 a month. Okay. Right. There are several members there today. They like it. It's enjoyable for them. There's a YouTube channel that gets decent views. It's got one really big winner in terms of a video that gets a lot of the views today, a lot of the traffic. There's the possibility of sponsorship revenue there. And then of course, there's like the normal website and blog. So our teammate is considering a couple of different things, but primarily the limitations are, I want to make this amount of money. I want to keep the same paid product, which we can challenge if we want to. And I have limited amount of time. Let's call it five to 10 hours a week to invest in this. Okay. So like two hours a day. His proposal is that he thinks that number one, he should try to grow through being on other podcasts. So grow his podcast listenership by being on other podcasts. I think there's a lot of intelligence there in terms of just like, if you listen to podcasts, you're likely to listen to other podcasts. Secondly, through making more YouTube videos, which can generate more traffic and more audience size. And then third, through writing blog posts regularly. I think it was a couple every month or something like that was kind of the proposal. So a lot of the thinking right now is produce more stuff, keep making the podcast, make more YouTube videos, make more blog posts, and then send everyone from all of that to the podcast. So I think this is a really perfect example of where everyone starts. I mean, even if I were going to spend more time on my own writing and everything, I think I would be starting from a similar place. Okay, I have limited time. How should I spend it to make money? So let's just start with like strategically. How do you analyze something like this? I imagine this has been bouncing around in his head for a long time, you know, of all these different ideas. Should I keep doing this really casually or should I ramp it up? And he was not talking about going full time on it, but he is talking about turning it into something that's a meaningful income stream. So the first thing that I really liked that he did was he took a step back and put it all in a Google Doc where he went through and outlined each detail, each step. And then I guess it's two things. It's the state of where everything is now. You know, here's how many paying subscribers I have. Here's how many YouTube subscribers. Here's traffic. Then he outlined like, this is where I think the potential could be and where it could go. And, you know, my current thinking on the strategy. And so many people, when they go to ask this question, they're like, hey, should I double down on my side hustle? And you're like, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know how to begin to answer that question because there's not enough information. If you're thinking about asking that question or a similar one, not of this podcast, but you know, of yourself and your career, then take that step, you know, in two or three pages in a Google Doc, put together all of the notes and details in one place. And then not only can you get good feedback on it, but also it'll help clarify your own thinking. And you might even find that after you do that, the answer becomes clear to yourself and you don't even need the outside advice. Yeah. So one of the places I started and I left some comments for our teammate yesterday was I wanted to think in terms of number one, the biggest constraint, which is time. And so I immediately go to, all right, what's the baseline goal here? Yeah. $500 a month is one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is over the course of a year, I need to make $750 times 12, which is $8,000 or something like that. Mm $9,000. You know, I think a lot of us tend to say, well, I want recurring revenue. I want it to like happen monthly and I want to make it on an ongoing basis. Another way to think about it, though, is like if I can just make $9,000 and I've got my whole year made, I can make that in the first quarter and then everything else is gravy from there. Right. There's no right answer there. But I like to think in terms of total dollars. And another point on that is there's recurring revenue where you make the sale once. 
you know, they keep paying until that person cancels insurance, which, you know, happens eventually. It's just a matter of whether it's, you know, a couple months in or a couple years in. But then there's also this other thing of one-time sales with recurring traffic and recurring funnels to them. And often that can be easier to do and can be just as powerful, right? So I could have a paid membership, let's say it's $25 a month or $20 a month, and people are signing up and paying for that. And then I'm on this you know, somewhat content treadmill to keep up there. Or I could do the other thing where I have a funnel that's continually driving traffic to say a one-time course or an ebook. I'm getting these sales every day because the consistent traffic is coming in and driving to it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And so I would think of this like the business I worked for before, Fizzle. People paid us every month. They were paying for access to content and the community Mm -hmm. or building a system. And I would think of someone like a Brennan Dunn is like the master of teaching this. His business, Double Your Freelancing, is like the pinnacle of generating ongoing revenue, but from one-time sales. Right. And here's what I love about systematically driving one-time sale revenue. You don't owe those people anything beyond the thing and the outcome that you sold them the first time. Now, you want to take care of them, right? You want to maintain them in your audience. And ideally, maybe you'll sell them something else in the future. Yeah. That's not saying like you should just throw away the relationship. But with any ongoing purchase, the hesitancy I always have, especially if it's not my full-time thing, is will I be able to maintain the pace and the quantity of content that these people are paying for and that they're going to expect from me now that they're paying? I'll give a great example. A while ago, I was redoing my own site and thinking about how I wanted to make money. I had my coaching practice, which we talked about a few episodes ago. I shut that down. I had like one or two clients who really wanted to maintain the relationship and I enjoyed working with them. But eventually those things shut down too. And I was like, all right, I wouldn't mind still making some money on the side just to keep my skills fresh, but I don't want to be doing services. I don't have time for services anymore. How do I want to do it? Patreon was kind of on its growth trend and I wanted to try them out. So I set up a Patreon and it was like, you know, just support my writing, a podcast, something like that. And then the last one was a monthly book club with me. I was like $100 a month. That was kind of like setting up a framework for later, right? Well, I have not looked at Patreon and I don't even know how long. Mm -hmm. And then this week, I mean, it's probably been two years since I set that thing up. This week I get an email and someone from my audience had signed up for the book club. And I'm like, oh, shit. And so now I have a decision to make, right? Do I want to go do like a promotion of my book club to my audience? I think a lot of people would really love it. I think I'm quite good at facilitating conversation and like pulling learnings out of books, which is why I had the idea to begin with. And it could be a lot of fun. But if I do that and I actually get the eight or 10 people I think will join me, which would be great, be a thousand dollars a month or something like that. I got to show up for book. I got to read a book every month and I got to show up for book club every month, ready to host a great discussion. And part of me would really enjoy that. But the question is, do I want to make that commitment given everything else that I have on my plate? And that's the same kind of question I think about with the recurring commitment when it's a side project like this. What's interesting is you might have the energy and enthusiasm for one book club. Mm-hmm. Or a club around one book. And you're like, hey, for 10 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever it is, we're going to do a deep dive on this book. I'm going to show you everything that I've learned. You know, you're going to build community with these 10 other people, right? We're going to make sure it's a small group. And you could do that where you have all this energy, see how it goes. And then if you like it, you could go, great, let's do it again. Here's the next book. Or you could say, we're going to wait a couple months, you know, because we're going to do them four months of the year, one month per quarter or something like that. Yeah. And you could make sure that the energy and commitment is there. The motivation rather than turning into this thing where you're like, oh, now I have to do it. Yeah, yeah. I think you should especially be careful of those recurring commitments. Yep. When you have a full-time recurring commitment. Mm-hmm. 
And that could be a day job, you know, which it is for both you and I and for a teammate. It could be a young kid, right? which is also the case for you and I, <laughs> where we're like, life will be easier sometime besides now. Especially in terms of flexibility. Yeah. Yeah. Just things to keep in mind of what your existing commitments are and where that energy and motivation will be, say like 90 days from now. Yeah. So here was ultimately my advice that I gave on this because because the question was really, how do I get this outcome? My advice was don't try and produce content across all those channels with such limited time. Pick one content channel because I believe, number one, you can grow an audience faster when you've only got one thing. And number two, you're way more likely to keep up with the momentum and the habit of it. The second thing is if you are absolutely set on the paid monthly podcast being the thing, then I would focus on podcasting. And that's it. And then I would find ways to promote the podcast. But if you're open to changing how you make money, I think what I would do is I would probably come up with a one-time product and build a system around promoting that. The other thing I'll say about a podcast just for, and I said this to Ben, our teammate as well. I asked if we could mention him and he said, yes, I have found that a podcast is a much better audience engagement content channel than it is audience growth channel. And for even the most successful podcasts, I found that become audience growth channels, they started with a large audience to begin with in almost every case, unless they were like a podcasting company or something like that. And so you think about Tim Ferriss, for example, Tim Ferriss had, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people on his email list before the podcast started. And then the podcast became a more intimate and powerful way to connect with his audience. And now that's like the primary thing he does. And it's become this self-fulfilling flywheel because it gets highlighted. It's in the top charts that attracts more listeners. Everyone knows about it. But without that early momentum, I don't think it would be where it is today. It would have been a lot harder. Right. And so I think for anyone who's getting started at this stage or just wanting to start earning money, a podcast is a really hard way to grow an audience. Whereas YouTube, and I mentioned this as well, is the world's second largest search engine. And so if you're trying to grow an audience, YouTube might be a better spot. It probably is a better spot than podcasting right now. There's no YouTube equivalent for audio at the moment. So anyways, those are just kind of some of my high level thoughts. Sounds good. I'm going to take a little break from the usual format of the show since we're already talking about Ben and just plug him as a creator of the day. We'll probably get into some more later, but so his site is brilliantside.com. And so he dives into meditation and mindfulness and dealing with anxiety and everything else. His podcast is called Shut Up Brain. You know, he's just got relatively short episodes, 20 to 30 minutes usually, mix of interviews and you know other content on mindfulness. And then his YouTube channel is growing. So Ben from Brilliant Side is his YouTube channel. And he's got 2,800 subscribers. And as we mentioned earlier, it's growing methodically and consistently over time. Yep, totally. It's all there. I have no doubt he can get there. And really, it's just like, okay, which path do you want to take, basically? Yeah. And so I would say, let's go help him out by going and subscribe to his stuff and all that. You were going to go to the next question. I was. Emily, we can always rely on you, Emily. You're always here. I truly am grateful for you listening every week. Emily's got a couple of questions. She's starting with the Craft and Commerce. So Craft and Commerce is our annual conference for creators. I'm going to venture to say that is one thing that will change. I believe I will continue to host Craft and Commerce, that I will probably spend even more time on it, and that it will become more of a festival than just a conference over the next three to five years. We have not talked about any of that necessarily, but I'm just putting that out into the universe. Mm, I believe that. Add more and more musicians into our creator customer base. I think there's going to be a ton of opportunity for that weekend to become really special, a really special mix of performances and talks. And I think it's going to be a ton of fun. But that was not the question. Emily asked, if June of 2021 looks like now in terms of coronavirus and everything else, do we think we'll still hold the conference? No. 
I don't think so either. It's kind of depressing, but I mean, we wouldn't even have a team retreat right now. We didn't have a team retreat. It's looking awfully sketchy for us to have a team retreat this winter. I just think that one, it's hard enough to get people to come to a conference, you know, and then two, to have any kind of that risk or liability. Obviously, there's the business side of everything, but even just imagining how we would feel if like, say, 25 people got COVID from one of our events. Uh, I would feel terrible. Mm-hmm. I just can't see it. Yeah. Doesn't mean that, you know, the world won't be different nine months from now, but those are the conversations we're having right now. Like you and I have an agenda item. We punted it until a week from now after our board meeting to dive in on what that would look like in plans for next year, but it's not looking good. Yeah. I would imagine the world's going to look very similar June of next year as it did June of this year, with the exception that I believe there will be a working vaccine. How well it works and whether we know how safe it is all the way, different question. But I do believe there will be probably more than one vaccine available with some level of efficacy, obviously, because it has to work to get approved. And so it's interesting to think about how we get back to events at all eventually. You know, is it like bring your vaccine proof? Is it like, you know, have a negative test the day you arrive? You know, I don't know how we get back to in-person events at some point, but it's going to be really awkward. The other thing I'll say, though, is that we did not do digital this year. It just didn't feel like it could capture the spirit of the thing. But I don't believe we'll go two years without any kind of event. So I do believe that if we're in the same situation in June, we will have a digital version. Yeah. And we'll figure out how to make it as good as it can be digitally. I think we've seen enough examples now that are 70, 80% of what you at least get from the content when you're live, if not the interaction. And so we'll probably find a way to do that at a minimum. Yeah, I think the reason we didn't do digital this time is that it would have been trying to cram it in. It would have felt like a cheap substitute. Whereas I think if we decide next year is going to be digital, then we have a lot of time to think about it and really craft an experience and try to recreate a lot of that magic and even create some new things. I think there are some things that will be possible in digital that is not possible in real life. And I think I don't mean this in an arrogant way, but I trust us to come up with something pretty innovative if we have time. Yep. And so I'd love to create something that other online events look to and go, we should do that too. That's totally happened from Craft and Commerce in person. It's one of those things like only do it if you can do it really well. With time, we could do a great digital experience. Yeah, I think so too. Okay, Emily asked one more question and we'll probably make that our last one of the day unless anyone pops in right here at the end. She said, what do you think social media will look like in 10 years? Any predictions? Okay, so whenever something like this comes up, I always first find it helpful to rewind and go back 10 years. So in 2010, Instagram had just launched. Facebook was by far dominant. MySpace was basically dead. Twitter was early days. It was still like early adopter-ish, like maybe starting to go mainstream by 2010, I guess. Yeah. Snapchat, TikTok weren't around. Mm -hmm. But it was, you know, Snapchat, I feel like had their wave and then came back down. That's a hard question. I mean, a, a lot changes in 10 years. It's hard to see where these waves are going to be. One of the things that seems like it's true, maybe it won't be, we'll see, is it seems like there's more companies trying to foster real connection, like depth of connection between smaller groups of people within a much broader network of people. Yeah. So I think about like, why are all these audio apps popular right now? It might be pandemic living. So it might just be a moment in time Mm -hmm. where people are thirsty for connection. And this is a way to get that in the absence of a more physical world. Think about the presence of augmented reality and virtual reality and how that will change over the next 10 years. Like you think about our friend group, Nathan, and how spread across the country we are, you know, will there be better ways for us to do things like have an in-depth conversation about what it means to live in community like we're going to next month? Yeah. I don't know. 
Maybe not. Maybe it'll be the exact same as it is today, just with healthier algorithms or something like that. But depth of connection, I hope, is how it changes. Right. Did you ever use Second Life? Or do you know what that is? No, but I know what it is. Yeah, sort of virtual reality. You know, this whole thing was like, well, Second Life real estate become popular, you know, all of this. I think that Second Life was probably ahead of its time and that's why it didn't work. And I think that will, you know, will make a resurgence, something of that variety, but it'll probably be true VR rather than the 3D experience on your computer. Right. The other thing is more and more of these social networks or communities will exist in a way that you own your audience. I think that's something that is changing. And I also think money will be tied in more closely. Whereas, you know, as you see things like Patreon and OnlyFans and Gumroad and now ConvertKit, I think money is going to be an even more important thing and more direct part of each of these relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I also think about if anyone's read the book Ready Player One, I really wonder if that kind of like online world will actually get created. Yeah. That might be more like a 50 year thing. I'm not sure. Like, I don't know what the pace of technology, but more importantly, the pace of adoption is going to be on that kind of thing. So we'll see, you know, in some ways it may not be that different from what we have today. 10 years can be a relatively short period of time. It can be a relatively long period of time. And so much of it depends on not just the technological development, which will continue rapidly. It'll continue on the same curve it's on, but how people adopt it and whether we are eager to find ways to use that technology in our lives. I do agree with you though, Emily, that I think privacy, connecting with people we actually want to know. And then the other interesting thing is connecting with people who like I would refer to as kind of that teacher, mentor, hero type character in our lives. So you see a lot of these communities, to your point, Nathan, where you can pay for access to someone that you really want to meet or that you respect or look up to. I'd be interested to see if there's more of that kind of thing, more opportunities to connect with people you look up to through social media in one way or another in, in smaller groups. Yep. I think so. Can I get theme music? We already did our creator of the day, but I'll give you theme music because you couldn't go an episode without it. There is no more creator of the day because we already did it. I do have a resource of the day. My resource is Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. Let me find it. You know what? I'm going to go to their website. Yes, Amazon is the first three search results there, but go to echelonfront.com slash extreme ownership. This book, it's about leadership and warfare and business. But the core message is basically, if you take full responsibility for everything in your life, even to the point where it feels a little bit absurd or extreme, where you're like, well, that's not really your responsibility. Basically, what you end up with is the opposite of a victim mindset. And it is so helpful, not just as a leader, but as anyone who you know is trying to chart their own course and set their own destiny. So this is a book that I read, I guess I've read it twice now over the last couple of years, and I'd highly recommend picking it up. Love it. It's funny. I can't believe I've never talked about this book on the show before. But the one that comes to mind, I've been thinking about Seth Godin a lot lately. I should check in with him to see how he's doing. I'm realizing. Uh, let me see if I can find it. He's got 19 books or something, by the way, or 20 books. Crazy. I'm not going to find it. I'll share it next week when I've got the physical copy with me. We'll skip it today. We're going with Extreme Ownership. We both agree that one's awesome. So cliffhanger for next week. All right. We'll leave it there for today. Thanks for hanging out. We will not be around on Monday. We have a board meeting. We're going to be actually working instead of pretending to work. I was going to keep talking until Barrett waved forever, but he cut out. On that note, have a great weekend, you all. Go vote. We'll see you later. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Future Belongs to Creators. If you didn't pick it up from the show, we make a tool called ConvertKit, where we're on a mission to help creators earn a living by building software that helps you build an audience of loyal fans. 
If you want to give ConvertKit a try, you can go to landingpage.new to launch your next creative project. You'll be able to build a landing page and send emails for up to 500 subscribers totally for free. So again, that's landingpage.new. You can get started with your free ConvertKit account today. We'll be right back.